everybody, and welcome to the very 130th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. A podcast about board games, and that's it. It's nothing but board games. <laughs> so I sincerely hope you like board games, or this could be one of the most dismal 30 minutes of your life. My name is Quentin Smith, and I am joined by my friend and colleague, but mostly my friend, but also my colleague, Tom Bruce. Wow, that's a, it's a really sweet intro. I'm glad that our friendship is tempered with the sickly, cloying aroma of collegiateness. Of professionalism. Of professionalism. Yeah. I, I wish we weren't professionals. I wish you and I were just friends who didn't have to do a podcast and could just play board games for fun friends all day. Just that hang out all day. Just two I know, cool but friends that hang out. It's not the case. It's not the case. Instead, today on this podcast, <laughs> we have to talk about. We have to talk about. We're going to be talking about several games by perhaps the greatest living board game designer. Well, not perhaps. Uh, I believe a lot of people would agree. Uh, they are the most legendary board game designer of all time. It's Reiner Knizia. Um, Tom and I have both published video reviews recently on two Reiner Knizia games, My City and Modern Art, and we're going to be discussing that a little bit. We're also going to be talking a little bit more about the quest for El Dorado. What do these games all have in common? They're all absolutely stonking. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know what? I don't even want to have a preamble. I just want to sting right now so we can get into the games. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we call high energy. <laughs> Too high? Maybe. Welcome to this high energy podcast. We're going to start by talking about my city. <laughs> Quinns, you published an excellent video review of the game that is called My City, which is, one might say, and they'd be correct in saying, Mr. Reiner, Dr. Reiner Knizia's first ever legacy game. Wow. I, th I think that's true. I think it's true. Don't fact check me on that. I don't, I don't want to look that up. That's, that's much too tedious. Uh, My City is a game about placing little cities that are the shape of, if you imagine like little Tetris pieces and you're trying to place them on a grid, you're trying to maximize your points by doing things like surrounding wells with four different buildings or ensuring that all the red buildings touch one another in a big sort of contiguous oh. group. That'll get you a lot of points. Oh. But you can't do things like have a building crossing a river. That's a big no-no mm. because then that building is technically a bridge and that's not allowed. <laughs> you can't build on mountains. You shouldn't build on trees, but you should try and build on rocks. It is absolutely fantastic. It's very simple. And the real thing that people need to know about the video review of my city that I published is I managed to destroy my the rod in my shower and take down my shower curtain. Because Tom, you had an absolutely hilarious uh, joke in your recent button show <laughs> review where you appeared in the shower fully, fully dressed. Yes. And I tried to do the same thing. It turns out that makes your clothes really wet. It does. I hung them up. And the weight of my damp clothes uh, destroyed several fittings in my bathroom. Uh, and you're to blame. But what do you think about my city? I'm, I'm going to put our discussion of my city on ice real, real quick. Just to, okay. just to very quickly just say, like, that that whole shower, the shower joke, it's harder to, to do than you'd expect because it just feels deeply <laughs> wrong getting into the shower in all your clothes. Like, did you, um, did, because I was uncertain when I filmed it, I chose to have the shower running, then get in fully dressed, yes. which as you say, felt wrong. But I was wondering while I did it, did you instead get in the shower in your clothes, then turn it on? No, I, I switched on the shower and then I clambered into the shower in my clothes. Yeah. And then I also, because I also did a test run as well. So I was already like setting up the camera and like sloshing water around the bathroom. And then the okay. next shot, I'm standing in my bedroom with it like presenting and I had to put a big trough underneath so I didn't bleed into the cup, not bleed, blimey, all the water <laughs> didn't fall out of my body into the carpet. 
that's all I wanted to say. It's a, it's a weirdly high effort joke for literally like a second of maybe someone going. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not. I, it made me laugh out loud when I saw you do it, and <laughs> okay. I was jealous, and so I wanted to also make people laugh out loud. So there's a there's a very good reason to go and watch uh, Tom's review of Buttonshy Games and my review of My City back to Tom, back. What was your ex- back to back? What was your experience playing My City? It's brilliant, isn't it? Like it's really it's so good. Really good. I think that there's something so strange about reading that rule book and you know you nail it in the review where it's like oh that is literally all the rules you turn a card you put a tetris piece down and you move on and pitching that game to someone and being like right we're gonna play this game three times and already you're going oh no like i played some of the estates recently <laughs> and the estates is a brilliant game but it encourages in the rule book you to play it three times and we finished our first game of the estates and went no way are we going to sit down like for maybe three hours of just the estates if you say to someone <laughs> you're going to play this game three times in a row alarm bells might ring because it's three games per episode we in our first session played like six games in a row because each one is like 15 minutes of just snappy putting tiles down with no frills just decisions (laughs) it's so it's so fast it's so fast and so fun um i think that something i i feel bad for not including in my video review and that i'm lucky that there weren't comments being like but how does this compare to the other tile lane games because this is a mechanic that's kind of in vogue now this i know that tetrominoes is a word that means a, a shape made of four squares but i'm <laughs> going to use it anyway because it's just like it's the only useful language these games where you kind of tetris shapes together games like baron park new york zoo patchwork you know my city viewed from the outside is just another game of that type But it's not, because I feel like all of those other games have other mechanics. You know, Patchwork has sort of income. New York Zoo has animals that you turn into hot dogs, I guess. I haven't played it. (laughs) My City, however, is is really just a shape arrives, you put it down. A shape arrives, you put it down. There are no other mechanics. And turns out that's great. Yeah. In and of itself, it's such a lovely, like, it's, everyone knows that it's a satisfying mechanic. Distilling it down like that and making the entire game about that very simple act of putting, putting tile down as the very core, <laughs> and then like a little Christmas tree, draping all sorts of tinsel and baubles over the top of it as it progresses, but never so much that the game becomes like an overwhelming decision mess. You've still got that core intact. Like, I think that the, that's what this game represents in the in the, in the the Reiner Knizia oeuvre, is that getting directly to the core of a thing. Like you have modern art gets to the core of what a great auction is. El Dorado gets to the core of what a great deck builder is. My City gets to the core of what a great legacy game is because it takes a super satisfying, snappy little nugget of joy in that core mechanic and then just piles just enough onto it to keep it really fresh every single time. It's great. Yeah. It's so good. So if people aren't aware what a legacy game is um what my city does is when tom says you play it over and over again uh, he's not lying believe it or not um <laughs> your games linked together in a big campaign which makes absolutely no effort to explain why you're designing and drawing a city that then fills this sort of like uh sort of uh, open field and then you destroy it all and build it up again and destroy it all and build it up again <laughs> um but that's what you're doing but as you play through the campaign, everyone who wins a game sort of gets points. So like if I beat Tom, then I get to notch a couple of circles. And at the end of our campaign, which is 24 games of my city, whoever has the, more, the most circles notched, the most, the most points earned, and there are different ways to do that as you get deeper into the campaign, will be the overall winner of the campaign, which is very exciting. But as you play, there are, uh, ooh, what's 24 divided by three? Uh, eight. Eight. Eight, thanks. Uh, <laughs> eight different envelopes, all of which contain different mechanics and secrets. So you play your first few games which have their own rules then you open another envelope with new mechanics and new secrets 
I spoiled the churches in my video review, which I think is allowed because they're literally contained in an envelope labeled the churches. <laughs> uh, Tom, do you want to talk about uh, anything that you found? Anything that you uncovered? I'm trying to remember. Little, little spoiler. What there is. I enjoyed very much when you start there's a little mechanic later on, so you're you're annoyed by the fact that you've got all these stupid trees and you can't place your things on the trees. And you're like, when's the game going to let me take those over? And then you get a tiny sawmill, right? And you can start just cutting down the trees and placing nice, even astroturf where they once stood until you've got a nice, shiny green field. But it's something as simple in that game as like, so that the sawmill, I can't remember which chapter it's in. It might have been... I, it's in the flood. The flood very nice like the, the, <laughs> I, I i actually will reveal I'm, I'm i'm going on a i'm going crazy for spoilers now i want to reveal what the flood does because i think it's the funniest it's maybe the funniest reveal to me in my city because you have this board which you absolutely cannot fit all of your buildings onto um it's like it's it's a nightmare that's the entire game and then it, the game gives you more buildings and you're like oh this is so hard now and then the flood happens and the game says okay now for the, these episodes <laughs> you can only build to the right of your river which is so insane it's like the game's getting a bit harder a bit harder a bit harder and you go okay i see what you're doing game and then the game goes and now i'm going to break you. <laughs> what's great is if you don't like that mechanic if you find it really frustrating only being able to build on half the river it's literally over in about five seconds because those <laughs> games are so pacey you do three of them and within that you know we're saying that each chapter adds new mechanics each sub chapter in each chapter tweaks those mechanics just a little bit and like evolves them over the course of those three games so by the end of the flood like you're you know you've got this sawmill and you can start chopping down trees and stuff but what's so great about it is that like not only is could the flood be considered annoying it's over quicker because you're playing half a game of my city now you're only using half the buildings <laughs> yeah um it's, it's just so one of the things i wrote down in my notebook that i said i mentioned in the video but um i could go into more detail on is it really felt to me that all of the different mechanics that you're adding which are really kind of 24 tweaks on the same game it doesn't get increasingly complicated either like other legacy games i've played it takes mechanics away it often takes the comp that sometimes it takes the annoying mechanics away and you're like phew i'm glad that's over but sometimes it takes mechanics you liked yeah away yeah. and in the, what is definitely the most pompous comparison i've made on the shut up and sit down podcast for many years it almost feels like it has the kind of i use the word plotting in the video it almost feels like a novel because you know it it, it gives you things that are harder, but then it makes things easier. It, it will have moments of peace and then moments of conflict. It'll have, I don't know, you have to kind of say goodbye to mechanics that you actually really <laughs> liked. And people, I don't know, like people think legacy games containing secrets and new mechanics that you get to reveal as you play. That sort of almost defines the genre. But what legacy is also, legacy is also destroying things. Legacy isn't just adding stuff to your game and making it more and more uh, bloated. Legacy is also saying, what can we destroy? Rip up, remove. And I don't know. I, I, it's not like I was ever truly upset by the removal of, you know, a, a tetromino in my city. <laughs> but I, I did feel that I was moving through time. I was moving through a, not saga, but you know what I mean? No, I know what you mean, which is it's a strange feeling when the game is asking you to reconstruct the same city over and over again and the same land over and over again. Um, <laughs> yes. But I definitely know what you mean, where it, it's rather than looking back on sort of like my city, like you would your board in Pandemic Legacy, where you go, 
oh, look, and that's this was what happened to Johannesburg, and this is what happened to this place, and oh, and, and you can see that story visually told on your board. I think My yeah. City has less of that, but it has more of, like, it lodges those chapters into your memory, because you do remember, like, when you're doing, you know, one of the later chapters where one of the rules is that you have to build buildings sequentially next to each other to get maximum points, which was a, my mm. favourite chapter, I think, where it turns the mechanics of the game on its head oh i know the exact one you're talking yes, about yeah I, I, we won't reveal what that what that is but um it changed it, that's maybe the biggest single change in the game and when it happens i felt almost i almost was like grieving because <laughs> i'd spent so much time playing what the game was beforehand that when it changed it was like we we can never go back <laughs> right exactly exactly and then but you'll have that big change that seismic shift and you'll be like oh no this is a, this is a nightmare now now i've got to play this game and then someone will go well no at least we're not playing the flood remember that <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly exactly that's what i'm saying it's it's like no you you've you've got me i feel i feel great kinship with you now tom thank you <laughs> yeah. um a thing that i did want to i i you know i'm going to break that kinship immediately um, as um, is as is only professional. <laughs> you sounded so disappointed. <laughs> as is only professional by giving you a big disagree with something that you said in your okay. review. This is a bombshell to drop. This is this is this sound. This is going to be something that I I'm going to be dragged for in ten years. People are going to go. Can't believe Tom said that. It's not going to be something like you know terrible. Don't worry. Okay. Here's my bombshell. I quite okay. like the art in my city. Oh yeah, you know I I I I. Sorry, I'm I'm gonna say the word I a few more times because sure, I think sure, that's, sure, sure. that's good. Just radio. to reinforce I, that I, this is your take. You are owning it. <laughs> I I I don't actually disagree with that. I'm not completely happy with how I delivered that line in the review. Because in the review I I complained. Really my complaint was that the theme could have been more exciting yes. and the, the art and the colour of the art is a little bit dim. It's a little mm -hmm. bit dark. It's not very bright and poppy. No, I agree with it, that. Like Yes, and that's kind of what I wanted. But what I actually said is I don't like the art, and I think that was that was misspoken because actually the buildings are quite quaint. Yes, you know the the way they're illustrated is cute, but I don't know. We've seen a lot of city games, in, you know, <laughs> in the last ten years, and my city is not one of the prettier ones of those. The thing that I settled on with when I was sort of playing it was that like, sure, you could have a different theme, and I think I'd prefer a different theme. There was a fantastic comment on the on the video that said, "Call it Mice City," and it's about little mice. Uh, scavenging like bits in the walls. Oh, it was lovely. oh, that's fantastic! Because then you know you could. Uh, that explains why it's removed. Because yes. like a vacuum cleaner <laughs> comes past every, you know, every two days. And, and I think that would be really great, and I would prefer it. But I often find that like more ambitious themes can often like carry the risk of like kitsch. I think the best Kinesi designs are the games that look dry because they offer no distraction from the mechanics. Like, so it's like something like Blue Lagoon is a really good example of that, where Blue Lagoon is like slightly more ambitious in its theme to maybe through the desert, like slightly more like bright and colorful and poppy. But I find the art design in that so much, I don't know, like kitschier. Like, kitsch is the only word I can think of. I don't even know if that's the right word to, to describe it as. But I think my I city's guess... art being so bland does it a really good service because it's the perfect art to decorate to this core with right like because the game is all about this very very simple core and then adding little bells and whistles onto the top keeping the art so plain and dull i think does some good service to the design because you're not having to abstract anything if that makes sense mm. it could no it does more, make sense but i think it works but then I... i'm dropping this bombshell and you know you agree with me so you know peace is made we can still be <laughs> friends it's fine I think that the best Reiner Knizia themes, 
all do what you're saying they don't get in the way of the mm. game there's no sort of complicated storytelling or sacrifices to the design made in the service of i don't know making you feel like an art dealer or making you feel like a you know caravan owner in the sahara <laughs> um but but good rhinoconcia themes do make the game just a little more evocative and memorable like for example the theme of the sahara and lining camel trains between oases in uh, through the desert does not get in the way of the game but it does change how I feel when I think about Through the Desert. I think about the colors of the camels. I think about the beautiful little 3D plastic palm trees. And that's, I mean, I've just named two plastic things. And actually, <laughs> one of the great things I wanted to say about My City that I didn't in the review is that this is a legacy game where when you're done with it, you can put it in the bin and you don't feel bad because it's all paper and wood. Yes. Uh, as opposed to many legacy games which do contain a lot of plastic. I just, I, I definitely agree with your point that Ryan Knitzia designs are so are so uh, simple and so clean that good themes don't want to muddy that or get in the way mm. of it. And I think a lot of the themes I suggested at the end of the review um, would have done exactly that. But I do think they can just be a little more evocative even or just a little more colourful. Yes. Yeah. Literally just bump up the saturation on those buildings by about 20%. Jobs are good and <laughs> you've never Exactly. Why didn't they just do that? We fixed that game <laughs> for them. Making board games is easy, turns out. You just have to say what you do on a podcast when no one can reply to you. Exactly. However, we're going to talk about a, a, a However, we're going to talk a Jesus. However, oh, no. however, we're going to ah. <laughs> however, we're going to talk about a couple more of Ryan Knizia designs and this actually brings me on to a point that I wanted to make to our audience because I've been thinking about Ryan Knizia a lot as a designer, uh, <laughs> partially because for at least 5 years of Shut Up and Sit Down's history we made fun of him. And that's not our fault because he was publishing games that weren't particularly great at the time. But now he's unquestionably on a tear again. He's made My City, which is his first legacy game and one of the best legacy games in the genre. He made The Quest for El Dorado, which is his first deck building games and one of the best deck building games ever made. And so I want to take a second to um, point out why I think he's a great designer um, to our audience. Because they might assume that Ranikinitsi is a great designer because he has 20 award-winning games and another 20 games that are award-winning in inverted commas, meaning they have won awards, but the games involved aren't sort of that memorable, <laughs> sure. culturally speaking. 40 award-winning games. That's more games than most designers will ever publish full stop. But actually, I don't think that's the reason Ranikinitsi is a legend in my mind. Ranikinitsi is a legend to me because, not because he's made all these amazing games, but because all of his games, amazing or not, are so simple and this was kind of maybe i'm a little slow to realize this uh but this week i realized that all of the running games that shut up and stand loves ra modern art quest for el dorado my city all have rule books that are like three to four pages and it almost makes me sad when i realize that that's possible that you can make great games that i can teach to families because in the board game industry, we've got to this point where we have family games, which is the industry's code word for simple games you can play with non-gamers, and then the entire rest of the industry. <laughs> and that's such a shame because Rani Kinsia shows that there shouldn't be a distinction between family games and complicated, you know, quote unquote, good games, because you can have both if you are as much of a genius as he is. I think that that's definitely true like i i was refreshing my brain on the rules for modern art briefly and I, I pick up the rule book for the you know the cmod edition and i open it up and it's like two pages of rules and then like eight pages of just pictures of the art in the game um <laughs> but there's i think the thing that's lovely about all of the because people say that the 
rules are simple, but they spill outwards into like a sequence of realizations. They interlock in such like exciting and interesting ways. Like a really good example is like when playing modern art, watching people realize how each of those mechanics impacts each sort of segment of game is just so exciting. Like the, the, the realizations couched within those rules are like so vivid. I think like yeah. Eldorado is a really good example where I played it with my family recently. They've never played a deck builder before. I didn't even describe it as a deck builder. I didn't say this is a deck building game. I didn't want to get in those mm -hmm. muddy waters. But then the speed at which they picked up the fact that it was a deck building game and how to do deck building from those simple rules was just like astounding. Oh, and you know, I think this is, this is, let's talk about the genius of Eldorado a little bit. So I think one of the reasons it's so accessible to people is it uses a foundation that everybody is familiar with, even if you don't play board games, because it's a race. Yes. And there are loads of race board games, Candyland, Backgammon, whatever. So Eldorado gives people this very familiar wrapper of, we're all going to start here with this little wooden person and you have to get your wooden person to the finish line first. So people feel comfortable. Mm. And then you introduce the deck stuff, but the deck isn't the focus. So people aren't intimidated. I would not sit a family down in front of Dominion, which is arguably a simpler deck builder because that idea of you have to build a good deck is is actually harder to get to grips with than yes. we're going to do a race yeah. also there's a deck of cards involved yeah. and, and making those the cards that you're getting so the way that they interface with with the board it's not like move extra spaces like oh i want to get through this jungle so i i get a man with a big machete <laughs> and like yeah. that's the way that i interface with the game it's so that's where the theme doesn't get in the way. It's kind of like those sort of explorer Well, themes. the theme is actively helpful to learning the game. Yeah. And then this is the other thing I wanted to say about Eldorado. Um, it effortlessly solves the biggest problem with deck building games that we were discussing as recently as our podcast about um, Dune Imperium. Is mm. that the name of that game? Yes. So uh, traditionally deck builders have this problem. A deck builder is a game where... On your turn, you can buy cards from a shop of available cards and put them in your deck. Now, the original deck builder, Dominion, uh, when you start to play that game, all the different cards you can buy, which I think is like 16 cards, mm. something like that, in Dominion, are all available to you. Which means Dominion has this initial crunch point where players have to look at the shop and be like, oh, I have to absorb all of these different cards I can buy. Mm. Now, a lot of uh, kind of lighter deck builders try and get around that by having a really limited shop. You see this in Clank and you see this in Dune Imperium where there are five cards that come off the shop deck and those are the five cards you can buy. But this is intensely irritating to me because, and I heard you complaining about this as well, Tom, because it drastically limits the strategy that, that you can choose because you've only got five entirely random cards in the shop. Yeah, especially on a first play as well. Especially like when you're when you're just interfacing with a game and it's giving you this like, you know, random selection of five cards. You go, oh, it'd be great if I had loads of those in my deck. That's like a nice feeling to have. And then to have that taken away immediately as you realize that there's none of that left. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, when you start playing, we'll use Junior Imperium as a, as a whipping boy for this, this example. Um, it means when you start playing, you don't know the combination of cards that are going to come out of that shop deck. So you might see, you know, a Fremen card and you go, oh, I'll collect these because there's probably loads of those. And then as you play, you, you'll realize, oh, they're actually quite rare in the deck. Yeah. It also means you can't do any forward planning because you don't know what cards are even going to be available to you in future. Anyway, back to what Ryan Knizia did with the quest for El Dorado. He worked out the solution, which more games have got to steal. Because what Eldorado does is it has a limited shop of like maybe six different decks of cards you can buy. So you do know 
that you'll be able to buy those cards probably in future next turn because there's a, a visible you can see several of them but when they run out the next player to go to the shop can bring any other little deck of cards into that shop so it's a hybrid of both you know that you're gonna play with all the cards you just don't know what order they will be available and players can choose what order they come out and i'm probably describing that in a way that sounds complicated but it's so smooth and so simple in el dorado there's some genius nitsia for you right there <laughs> <laughs> right there look at it you need a microscope for that you can see it on the surface i i i'm i'm bigging that up because i don't think the industry gave him enough credit for solving the biggest problem with deck builders <laughs> he solved deck and it's builders. not even the focus of the game <laughs> and it's a simple game it's just like he solved it i don't know he's not solved it but you know what i mean i know what you mean i i'm keen to play more el dorado i've come to this having only played a couple games of it and i want to go want to dip back into that we actually didn't get to the end of our last game because something came up but it was it was a game that i talked to my family it's a game that i can teach to um some sort of friends as well and it will hit those same beats regardless of experience and i think that is like absolutely core and genius in in that game yeah I think the thing the thing you said earlier that um, uh, that really resonated with me was that these simple Rhinokinitia designs offer such an easy way in for families or people who don't play board games to enjoy those revelations that keep the rest of us playing board games over and over and over again. That the way that you look at a mechanic and you go, oh, and you start to understand. Yes. And for that reason, I think if I want if if I had one shot at showing a group of people who never played designer board games why this hobby is great. I feel like it would have to be Rhinokinitia games you put in front of them because they're the only games that are simple enough to almost be described as family weight games and yet mind-bending enough to make you realize why this hobby is so addictive. Yeah. The thing that I think I've realized when teaching games to my family is that most people outside of the hobby don't like rules. And the thing that you need to to embed in people when you're trying to get them or to coax them into the hobby is that the rules are the fun part and that is the lamest sentence i think i've said ever but <laughs> it's true like the thing that board gamers love rules and that's not to say that we just like following them we like interpreting them and looking at them and seeing how they coalesce into something that's joyous and interesting and having Rhino Knizia's games have such low rules overhead gets you to that that revelation that rules can be and are really exciting when those cogs start turning in your head. Yeah. I think that that's the absolute genius is that the the speed that those games will get you from learning the rules to realizing the implications of that rule is is where all their genius lies. Um yeah, I th I think it's there's so much subtlety in in making people comfortable as well with simple rules. And um if we think about El Dorado, it's it's so the quest for El Dorado is a game where you have to race across a jungle and you have to play different cards with different symbols to get through stuff. Like you have to play a boat to get over water and you have to play a machete to get through thick jungle, for example. Mm. You have to play money, interestingly, to get through the people who actually live <laughs> in this place. Uh, you're at, just furiously bribing them and if you have no money, you can't get through, which is hilarious to me. Um, but, but that, in not having numbers... Mm. in having this like when you when you were saying earlier it's like oh, i'm running against these games don't need themes because themes get in the way sometimes sure but themes can also be at, at their best so helpful for people if you know um el dorado had just been sort of like you need to play a red three to get through a red hexagon that puts people off but to say you have to play a boat to get across a river yes it, it doesn't it it's not that people can interpret it easily it's that it doesn't frighten them mm. and that's so important <laughs> to not frighten people <laughs> away do you want to talk about modern art a little bit because i think 
that is another great example of uh, of what we're talking about. Sure. So uh, to couch this session, I should have, we're recording this podcast a little bit early, but if all goes well, I'll have a video review of Modern Art out on, out, well, it was out two days ago, if you're listening to this now on Friday the, hold on, let me check my calendar, 12th of February. <laughs> Great. What's your favourite joke in the review? Do you have anything um, in mind for it? It depends how lazy I am. Because okay. there's a joke in the review where I say it's time to go to the economy zone. And then uh, <laughs> I run to the economy zone and then I stand in front of a whiteboard and I, and I tell the viewer about how money works. Um, <laughs> but if I'm lazy, I'll just run downstairs and I'll appear in, in the, in, you know, next to the whiteboard slightly out of breath. If I'm not lazy, I know there's a field near me that I'll run across. So it looks like I've put the economy zone really <laughs> far away. Oh, if that's not in the wow. video, just just picture it, you know. No, listener. Tom, it's got to be oh, in it. Like it has to be in it. I've created work really for myself. Does. Yeah, you did, um, you did. And uh, no editing this out of the podcast either. <laughs> Damn. But yes, uh, Modern Art is, is an absolutely fantastic uh, auction game. And I think that the reason it really stands out for me as well is that if we're talking about themes not getting in the way, I think that... Not only does modern arts theme not get in the way, I think it really like maybe Ryan Clancy is at his best when those themes completely elevate the mechanics into something else. Like when they when the theme fits so perfectly, even if it is a little bit like not the most exciting, you're not space artists in. I you know, um, in my other work, by the way, I I discovered um so I I do little documentaries for a, a YouTube channel called People Make Games plug. and I. Uh, I, well, we'll get to why this is relevant, but I just did a video on escape rooms and how they're designed. And a survey on escape rooms told people that the most popular themes for escape rooms were basically related to either solving crimes or doing crimes, <laughs> while the least popular themes related to zombies and magic. Yeah. And so I don't think modern art is a boring theme because in modern art, players are art dealers and dealing art and, and selling art for outrageous amounts of money and making outrageous amounts of money. I don't think that's a boring theme. I think that's actually... If you just take your average person on the street, I think that's something that they kind of, they might want to do or they might want to make fun of. Yes. And modern art lets you do both. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it is a perfect like marriage of like theme and mechanic in that sense, because it has this, if you want to take it as an almost satirical game, it can be taken like that. Or if you want to take it as a hyper-capitalist make money game, it's that as well. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. It does a great job of doing both. But anyway, I should, I should probably explain what it is. Uh, at its core, modern art is a game about auctions. Uh, you have this big hand of really beautiful paintings, and each turn you're going to be auctioning one off to the rest of the table, putting it in the middle, saying a few words about it, and saying why those people might buy it. And they can; those paintings will have all different kinds of auctions on them. So, for example, when you put a painting down, it might be an open auction where everyone shouts out bids, or it might be a one-time offer where you say one offer, and that's your whole lot, or a hidden auction, or a double auction. So it adds this little element of randomness to each auction. So you put a card down, you do an auction, and then everyone has a chance to bid. But at the end of the round, you will sell those paintings, and those paintings are worth a different amount depending on how popular that artist was that round. So if Manuel Cavallo has sold five paintings that round, he's top dog, his paintings are worth 30 pence a piece. Whereas if you're... If you've only sold one Sigrid Thala painting that round, then she might not be worth much at all, or maybe even nothing. And then on subsequent rounds, those costs rack up over time. And I hopefully this will come across in the review that goes out now slash when it goes out, um, <laughs> is that there's these lovely steps of 
realization that happened throughout modern art. The first one is like, oh, it's lovely. It's a game about selling paintings. It's a game about convincing your friends to buy the painting because it's the prettiest and loveliest and rambling about that and having a silly time and pretending you know about art. And then, no, it's not about that. It's a game about making money. It's a game about saying, how can I flip this painting for 10 into... 30 how can i flip this painting from 30 into 60 and trying to game that system and then you realize after that well no it's not really a game about that at all it's a game about this murky evaluation and player interaction where you're realizing that every time you sell a painting or every time you buy a painting rather you're giving the person selling it free money. Sure, you might be making $9 from that painting, but you bought it for 30 off a person who bought it for nothing. They had it in their hand for $0. And then you realize that. And then you realize after that that, oh, actually, it's a game about hand management because you have this dwindling yes. hand throughout the game. And you realize, oh, each turn I'm only going to have these cards. So if I make this artist really popular this turn, it's a good job I've got a couple left over because then that'd be beneficial to me in later rounds. And then... You realize it's a game about psychology on top of all of that. It's a game about messing with people and jacking up prices and bluffing and deception, which then all ties back into that first core, which is that it's a game about making, like, selling nice paintings. Because at the end of the day, playing it with my family, someone just overbid on a painting because they wanted it. <laughs> oh, God bless your family. That's <laughs> awesome. I agree with everything you just said. And yet the thing that's so important about modern art is that, yes, when you're in it, you know, you're free to have all of these marvelous revelations. And and that is kind of what people would say, oh, Ryan is a great designer because modern art is such a clever game. But what I'm saying is Ryan is a great designer because you can sit a family down to play his game and says, who wants to auction paintings which are only valuable based on how much we all pay for them? Mm. And then that's kind of just, it's, it's straightforward enough. The rules explanation isn't long and it's an interesting hook. And it's like you say, it's two pages of rules. And that to me is what makes him not just good and prolific, but... A legend because to state the obvious making a good simple game is harder than making a good complex game yeah yes 100 percent. It, it's that the genius i think that's where i'm going to put my like my my stance is that the genius of those designs is that the rules get out the way and the revelations sort of make themselves in your mind like it goes straight from rules to oh that's that's quite clever isn't it for literally anyone anyone can appreciate that there's there's something clever going on there at their own pace during the game it's just genius i'll just do a weird plug here for a book of Rainer knitzias that i own um <laughs> that it, this isn't like super widely available uh, so apologies if this causes whatever you know supplies are available to sell out but it's a book called dice games properly explained and I can't remember if I rambled about this on the podcast before, <laughs> but it's it's pretty fascinating. So it's like a repository of dice games, which are like, um, you know how you can play a lot of games with a deck of cards? Um, turns out that people would carry dice around with them back in like as early as the 1950s. And then with a handful of dice and some paper and pens, you can play a lot of dice games and a lot of gambling games as well with just a handful of dice. And if I, I, I feel like the only one of these games to have survived is Liar's Dice, also known as Perudo, mm. which is w played all over the world. Weirdly, when I was backpacking in China, I found that people play it in nightclubs. <laughs> um, and it makes sense that it's stuck around because it's one of the best games ever made. But what I didn't know is that there are dozens and dozens and dozens of other games that people were playing for hundreds of years to do with just dice. Uh, and they all got erased and they've all been lost to history. And that's why I think Dice Games Properly Explained is a really interesting artifact. But what I think is relevant to Rana Knizia as a designer now is that 
of course Reinhard Knizia is able to, well, not of course, but it makes sense to me that Reinhard Knizia is able to design these games that are so good and so simple because he has the foundational understanding of what do people enjoy about rolling dice? What do people enjoy about flipping a card? Right, you right. know, it's... Whereas if you, I don't know, if you were a new designer now and you wanted to design a board game, you might think, oh, okay, I'm going to make a worker placement game. And then all of your foundational learning is all of these incredibly complicated worker placement games you've learned. You're going to make something complicated. But Reiner, I feel, is coming at games from the angle of, I like rolling dice, I like cards, I like puzzles. And then because he's also a professor of mathematics, he's able to turn these simple building blocks into you know the 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 still simple but the simple masterpieces that he makes yeah he can he can put that on his cv he can i don't think he has enough qualifications <laughs> uh, so if if reiner if you would like uh shut up and sit down what should what what qualification what official shut up and sit down qualification should we should we grant i to think I, I think we should give him the shut up and sit down recommends badge <laughs> okay yeah we we should have tattooed. a temporary tattoo <laughs> temporary tattoo made so that next time we run into him at a convention we can apply it to his arm his forehead shut up and sit down uh, for, recommend he, he wouldn't Kitsia. agree he's 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 too he's too nice and sensible to, to put a temporary tattoo of our logo on his forehead <laughs> i think ryan if you're listening i dare you to prove us wrong <laughs> uh that has been the shut up and sit down podcast everybody uh tom it's been a real pleasure it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure quentin thank you for thank you for having uh, me are you hey after this do you want to play another test game of that review that i've got coming up that i stole from you because you wanted to review it and i said no way and i pulled rank oh i can't believe you stole that game from me i was because yeah. i was not only was i excited to review that game i was also excited to just get a free copy of it and play it all the time <laughs> and now i can't <laughs> No, because I took the copy and I'm going to do a video review. And that's going to be good. And we shouldn't tease our audience anymore. But ooh, ooh, I'm so excited. It's going to be I'm good. So excited. I'm excited for that one as well. Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a good... Wait, wait we should Mad Libs this sentence. Okay. So, th- wait, hold on. Is it Mad Libs where you do... Oh, man, this is... I can, I'm, I can just... Mad Libs is where there's a blank in the sentence and you can put any word into What's it. What's the one where you do, like, a word each? Oh, that's a stupid game. We can do that. Yeah. So, you want to start? Yeah, sure. So, I'll, 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 I'll do a little, like, because I'm going to edit this out. Okay. That's this week's Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. Thank you. Thank. What? You. Hang on. Wait. What's that? Wait. What? Oh, like, oh, was that a sentence going to be thank you, thank it you? It was going to be more words, and you ruined it already. But how Why do you have to spoil how, everything? What, sen- what sentence goes, thank you, thank? <laughs> that would be a perfect ending. Okay, what's fine. Just on <laughs> what, what sentence do you want to thank you, thank? Yeah, no, seriously, talk. What sentence? Say, tell me the sentence now that begins thank you, thank. That was the point. The point was that it was going to be a stupid sentence. It was going to go thank you. So let's try. Like, hold on, let's try again. This will go after the okay. ending of the podcast. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank exactly. you, thank me for listen your pleasure, please today. Perfect. Okay, yeah, you know, you're right. That was that that was a good sentence. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>